Isn't it so sad? It is. Well, I, I'm out of the loop. Fill me in. It's like a very long article, and the gist of it is like, what the hell happened to Rudy? I think he's like broke now, they're saying, um, and the drinking is like out of control. And they trace it back to he, after 9-11, he was riding high. He started a security company. He was like doing business all over the world. He was America's mayor. And then he bet it all on Florida coming through for him to get the GOP nomination uh, to run for president. Like back in the day. Oh, wait. He was 9-11. 2008. Yeah. He was? He was oh, the yeah. front. I don't remember. They, it was supposed to be him and Hillary in 2008 yeah. and it ended up being Obama and Romney? Yeah. Kane. McCain. Yep. So, but he, so he went all in on Florida. His bet was if I can, if I can, on Florida. if I can win here, <laughs> that'll be a signal to the rest of the country that I'm a real candidate. And he got killed. Yeah. And like a lot of the people who were quoted in the article were basically like, that was it. Like he spent a month at Mar-a-Lago, like just drinking his sorrows away. And he never was the same after that. I mean, you have to have a serious drinking problem for a newspaper to write about your drinking problem. The whole article is about, like, like he, like people are saying, like, he would show up at, like, not just parties, but, like, a 9-11 ceremony, like, wasted. Hammered. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if any of it's true. That's just what the article was saying. I mean, his decline is definitely one of, like, the most dramatic, saddest, I think, in American political history. He was so beloved by the whole country. Yeah. Post 9-11. America's mayor. just spiraled. Uh, you see in the doc, I have this uh, tweet. We're going to play the video. Yes. I f***ing put that in the doc. Don't, don't. <laughs> you did? You oh. can't take my tweet. Oh, somebody did. All right, whatever. No. It's my <laughs> no. tweet. I put it in there. All right, so Alex, I have a tweet in the doc. <laughs> that I put, that I put there. I think what happened, what had happened was you put it into the doc and I moved it to where it is. That's okay. why I thought okay. it was mine. I, that's why it's quasi took ownership of it. So, well, no, it's gonna we're gonna put it on the screen. No, I know. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I don't remember what clip it was. Oh. I have to remind myself. Oh, I'm sorry, Josh. You oh, did right. put this. In I the put this in. No, but there's another one. Okay, play it. Play it. No one. Press pause. Press pause. Press pause. I have an I have an observation. Press pause. <laughs> See. <laughs> Look, Michael. I, Michael is now interrupting video clips. I just look, want I want the viewers to comment. No, on this that. is this is important. Okay, look what he's doing with his hands. Yeah, he's got one of them is doing like the. He, no, he was doing this. He's doing what we all do with he our hands. He doesn't know what to do. You don't know what to do with your hands. Why are they filming? That's him? why the Apple people. Alex, what do the Apple people do when they give presentations? They, oh, they clasp behind like their backs. No, they put them behind their no, backs. No, there's like a. But you're supposed to show your hands. Like hiding your hands is a sign of like you don't trust uh, the people. Unless it's like, look, wait, guess what's behind my back? Somebody did a video of all Apple executives <laughs> on stage doing a presentation, and they all do. I don't know. I forget what it is. They right. all do the same thing with their hands, and they're coached too, obviously, because Jerome Powell he doesn't have a hand coach. No idea. We got to get this. We got to get this guy a hand coach. Does anybody? Is there anybody start, that does? Wait, start start it over. I actually want. I want to hear what he says. But look at his hands while you watch. Right, like the Arthur meme. Jay Me? <laughs> Literally you. See, this is good at editing. They immediately edited. They zoomed in to yeah, get rid of the hand, hands, the, the weird thumb. But why did it start that way? Why couldn't they have just cut in at the... Why are they showing us what he's doing with his hands and then cutting them away? Just don't show them ever. Am I crazy? 
They, they look like a full length. He's almost like an animatronic president in at Disney World, like the Hall of President. Like, why are you showing this man standing like full on? The way that that video is shot is ridiculous. Like ridiculous. the first comment in there is, I thought that was AI Jerome Powell. It literally yes. looks like you deep fake Jerome Powell and you had him there putting this message. Maybe that's what they did. Who, whose idea do we think this was? Like literally. It had to have come from somebody very high uh, at the Fed just saying that like, like hey, uh, the American public might turn on us. Like we are, we might be sparking a recession here. Let's get out on I, Instagram and get the message I have out a friend, ourselves. Uh, that's why you do it. I have a friend, Lauren LaCapra, who does like content, I feel like, for the Fed. But I think it's the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. I don't think she had a hand in this. Maybe she'll reach out and tell us. Uh, is it a good sign when Central Bank is like – Going to now start shit posting on Instagram and threads. Not shit posting. I don't know. Is it, what? What do we need this for? It's a great sign. What? Why? What? No, I'm, I, don't, I don't know. What is the part? What do you think is the purpose of this? I mean, I think that they're anticipating some bad press ahead. That's the way. That's the reason why you go onto social media to try to tell your story and put your narrative out there. This guy knows. Yeah, because guess who's going to get laid off? People sitting on Instagram. Yeah. And you know, when, we're going to have AI Jerome Powell saying, "I'm sorry." If for what and when the to Fed you. goes too far with rates and and the uh, the unemployment rate starts to spike, a hundred percent, it's going to be all Fed hate all the time, no doubt, uh, on, on the internet. Ben and I were talking about a survey that Coinbase did, which was nonsense about how many people own American, uh, how many Americans own, own uh, crypto. But one, th I think uh, the numbers was like one in five, or maybe fifty percent, are like completely disillusioned with the economic system in America. And so I think that maybe talking directly to those people isn't the absolute worst idea. Imagine being disillusioned with the economy and thinking crypto is the solution. <laughs> you want to be disillusioned, spend spend a year in, in crypto. And it's the natural progression, right? You don't believe in the economy, you believe in the hedge. But the problem is then you get screwed by the hedge and you're totally an anarchist at that point. I would argue the hedge is way worse than the thing it's no hedging. No doubt. I mean, that's, by the way, in Latin America. So I spent a good deal of time in Latin America in 2022. And they love Bitcoin and they love Bitcoin because inflation is so high. A place like Argentina has inflation at 80%. So you see Bitcoin stickers all over the place. El Salvador, for instance, made it the national yeah. currency. Like the process of dollarization has been so bad. And it sounds good in theory that just the problem is in practice, you screw yourself even worse by going into these highly volatile and yeah, lat, right. scam cryptocurrencies. Lat, Latin America had, you know, a horrific economic – well, it seems like it's a rolling horrific economic situation for some of those countries. But they had dollar-denominated debt that they just couldn't pay as the dollar – as the value of the dollar rose versus their local currency. It was like adding insult to injury. So I Absolutely. understand – and that's generational – if you know, if you grew up in a household where that was destroying the economy of the country you live in, I understand the suspicion and not wanting the traditional economic system and wanting something outside of that. I don't think most people in the United States could claim the same level of harm no. that the economy has done no, here. That's, it's inspired by greed, a lot of the other investing. Like you think about the FTX story and there's two sides of it, of course, right? There's Sam Bankman fried and his completely irresponsible and reckless management of money that people trusted him with. And then there's people who invested in crypto because they wanted a return somewhere and they thought they could get a 20% return if they're investing in crypto and FTX and it blew up in their face. What about a use case for Latin American countries? Uh, Zeke Fox in his book said, was describing the failed experiment of Bitcoin in El Salvador. Mm -hmm. What if those people are easily able to just use USDC or some sort of stable coin to hedge against ridiculous inflation, which is an obvious real crisis there. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a good hedge. It's also like, if you think about El Salvador, 20 to 25% of that country's GDP is on remittances. So people sending money back and forth. And you pay a ton of money. Yeah. So how are stable coins not an obvious solution? I think it is a good solution. That's the thing is, with the crypto shakeout, like we're starting to see, okay, all these scams are getting washed out. People are being more careful about it. Were there real problems that some of this was trying to solve? Yes. And is there a chance that we have a second wave of this that actually solve those pro- solves those problems? It's possible. The problem is that trust has been shattered. So you're the big tech guy. That's right. Uh, I think the biggest big tech story of the year is taking place right now in Las Vegas. I think the thing that they built is more impressive than anything I've seen the FANG companies build. Uh, this in is my story. In 2023. No, I really do. I, first of all, have you gone a day without somebody bringing it up to you or asking you if you've seen it or sharing the videos with you? Probably no, not. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable yeah. the legs that this John, has. can we pop this on? Pop it on. I mean, this, I think every day, how am I going to get out to Vegas and watch you too before this, that residency this is, is up? So Look at this sick. shit. First of all, this is one of my favorite songs. Put the audio on. Oh, we Where the tweets have no names. All right. <laughs> the audio. Look at this shit. Uh, suck. So, somebody, somebody said... Uh, the only concert venue where the nosebleed seats are better than the front row. Because you know why? Exactly. Th- th- do we have that uh, that image? Yeah. Like, you you can't see this from the front row. It's true. I mean, that is spectacular. Oh, my God. So, uh, so I just, I feel like this is a bigger technological breakthrough than anything that I've seen from Apple, Microsoft, Meta. I've always said James Dolan is a tech god. I've, why, why I've think, always but, consistently said so this. So talk about that from a technology standpoint. Why do you think it's so impressive? These are LEDs on the outside of the building that are spaced eight inches apart, and there's hundreds of thousands of them, and they are projecting just this incredible range of images that we have never seen on an edifice, on a building. I don't care about the seven-inch screen on my phone. Like, that's no longer impressive to me because we've already been living with that. Now you're seeing them do this with architecture in a mm-hmm. major city. And it's I think the the visual of it is so arresting, so breathtaking that it's like the image of the year. Like the, these shots from inside of a U2 show in Las Vegas. Like if you think of like what is the uh the the iconography of the year 2023, that's a front runner. Maybe like when the year is over, we'll look back and say, that was the most mind-blowing thing any of us have seen. So here's my question. Can other bands carry that venue in the same way that you 2 did? So they had yes. plenty of time yeah, to prepare definitely. for it. They are a, you know, they're an impressive band. You know, if your song is low energy, and there were a couple in the set, and you can watch them on YouTube, Desire is one of them. It really stands out. Like, and there's nowhere to hide in that, in that amphitheater. I who's think the, the visuals, the, though, will take over in those right. moments if you do it right. Who's the Jeb Bush of music? So you don't that's think you don't <laughs> you don't think Beyonce energy, you don't think Beyonce is going to arrive inside no, that sphere and, and that destroy? Is gonna be, yeah, no, like, it's going to be a once in a lifetime. Hold show. on, John, shut this beeping off for me. I have no Dude, idea how to do every it. Every time, I know. Just help. Literally? Just help me. Just help me once, okay? What do I press? This? Yeah, yeah. Focus. Hit focus. Focus. Just, uh, do not disturb. Do not disturb. But I think you have to do it on your phone too, since you're like. Oh, uh, I say. So, Batnick, you're going to Vegas in November. So, my friends... Dude, I'm going to this U2 show. You guys are both going. I'm going with uh, Uh, Joe Joe. Fami in October, this month. So, where are you going to sit? I don't don't know where our seats are, to be Mm -hmm. honest with you. But what I do know 
is that dinner beforehand is at Cipriani Las Vegas. Nice. And we're just doing this like Don's. <laughs> this is going to be like one of the best nights of my life. And my wife hates me. I got to go. So I'm going without her. Yeah, because you're going to be in Vegas, my, right? Yeah, my friends were asking if we should go Saturday night. I yes. Go. I have to go. You should it's go. It's going to be better than the football game you're going to watch. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, how much are the tickets online right now? Are they $1,000? For the sphere? Like Taylor Swift price, right? Let's see. Do you know that this is publicly traded? Yes. SPHR. The, the market cap is less than like, the amount of money they spent to yeah, build it. The market cap is $1.5 billion and it, it costs a, four, right? Two. Two and a half. Okay. Two and a half. So you can invest in the sphere. Like if you really are excited about it, it's, I think it's bundled together with the MSG TV network that shows right. the Knicks and Rangers. Saturday, mm. November 4th. I need three tickets. All right. We're not, Josh, I would, mean, you, would you advise people to invest oh in the God. sphere? How much? Wait, were you about to say something? No. Yeah, you much? are. You about to talk shit. I wonder we don't how much what. they were. We don't what? I was going to say, we don't have time for you to like book oh. travel right now. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a fair statement? Did you get a dollar amount? I guess. Share. 1500 2000 I don't okay. know. Well, I don't know what section. All right. Uh, the cheapest The cheapest one is 900 bucks. Yeah, it sounds oh, right. Okay. That's a t that's tail. That's doable. <laughs> that's, that, yeah, doable. That's T Swift that's so at uh, Metal That's a lot no? of money. All right, shall we get this going? You know what? But I to might, go see you two, I don't know. I feel like it might be worth it. How much is one ticket? I might have to go alone to this. All right. Where's my music? Yeah, I'm going. Stop. I have to go. What are we doing? I'm going. Turn me up. What show is this, John? Tom and Friends, episode 112. Welcome to The Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by Josh Brown, Michael Batnick, and their castmates are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Redholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Redholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Today's episode of The Compound and Friends is brought to you by our friends at Bird Dogs. It is bird dog season. You know what? It's always bird dog season in the summer, in the fall. I don't know if they have any winter gear, but it's, it's definitely bird dog season right now. If you want to dress as cool and look as good as I do, go to birddogs.com slash compound. You'll also get a free white tech dad hat, which I wear regularly. It's It, it breathes. I don't know what material it is, but duh, it's the best. That's birddogs.com slash compound to get your gear. 112. Room 112, where the players dwell. What? I just... You know what that song is from? No. That's Biggie. Yo, shout out to all the fans, all the followers, all the viewers. We love you guys. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you for all the reviews lately. Sending the show to your friends. And shout out to the haters, too. If you hate me... I'm going to give you so much more to hate. The show is not going away. We're going to keep keep bringing on the best guests in the industry. God, you're going to f***ing hate me when this is all over. I swear to God, you're going to hate me. Uh, we have a really special guest today, friend of the show, fan favorite, if you will. Uh, someone who has done incredible content all year. Speaking of the stories of 2023. My friend Alex Kantrowitz. Alex, say what's up to the people. What's up to the people? Great to be here. All right. Alex is the founder of Big Technology, a newsletter and podcast about Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, all the most important companies that are changing our lives and changing our world. He also published Always Day One, which I have in my office right now, How the Tech Titans Plan to Stay on Top Forever, which debuted in 2020 
And you are a current CNBC contributor. That's correct. All right. Uh, Michael Batnick is here, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, hello. All right. John is here. Duncan is back. How do you feel back in the saddle? Feels good. Where were you? It's in Germany. What were you doing there? My wife ran the Berlin Marathon. Channel oh, that's checks. right. I knew that. I knew that. How did she do? She did well. She broke her, her previous record. So, yeah. so she runs international marathons? She's trying to do the Abbott, the Abbott 6, I think. It's like the six major marathons. So there's like a jet lag component to that if you don't plan it right. Yeah. I okay. was jet lagged watching. Okay. <laughs> you ever think of training to run with her or no? Nah, I'm just a short distance person. I run five. Yeah, maybe, same, same. Maybe uh, 10K. Yeah. So maybe yeah. 1K. I run a 1K. Uh, Nicole is here. Rob is here. Guys, welcome to the show. So happy to have you, Alex. I think uh, I think let's start with this metaverse stuff because the metaverse has been really quiet. Um, but what what are we saying here about this? Uh, let's let's tweet up. So it's a video of I'm sure you saw it. It's a video of Lex Freeman. By the way, can we just before we get to the video, how did Lex Freeman get famous? Like I all of a sudden he's got like a million. Uh, he's one of the most popular podcasters. He's an ever. awesome interviewer. But other than that, I don't know how he originally broke through. I don't know the I answer. I think he went on Joe Rogan, right? Oh, is that it? But I, I think there's a He's connection. an MIT. Okay, is he an MIT how, professor? He leveraged the MIT association. How did he get to Joe Rogan? It's unclear how much he actually teaches at MIT. Okay. I'm sure the haters will let he's, me know. But He's been there once. I think it's a kind of a loose or you know thin association with MIT. He might teach something there. And he just used that. I mean, you get an email. Hey, I'm an MIT professor. Come talk to me about this you know, branch of artificial People are like, oh, MIT, you could interview me. I, I should and try then, that. Yeah, it worked. Hey, can I, um, how, how about if I interview you for the next hour as Lex Friedman? Would that be good? Sounds great. Okay. Alex, you wrote a book. <laughs> this, he's pretty good Say at the more. Lex Friedman. <laughs> so, all right. So the video is as such. They have on goggles. What are they wearing, Alex? This is the Quest 3, I'm pretty sure, the new virtual reality headset from Meta. Basically, they're wearing birth control. So nine months ago, a year and a half ago, however long ago, there was this idea of the metaverse. Facebook changed their name to Meta. And there was cartoon characters without legs. And it looked as ridiculous as I'm describing it. Here we are today. And this shit is real. So they've got headsets on. And they're talking to each other as if the headset doesn't exist. It looks like they're in the same room with each other. An, is it an animation? I mean, it's, it's is it incredible. an animation? You go in and you get scanned. So they can basically approximate what you look like. And so you then, can't do this at home. This is no. done at Meta. Where I think do you it's go? like a six or eight hour process that they do oh. scanning of your body. You just brush the bubble for me. This. Can you get a colonoscopy at the same time? I mean, it's go, I, can I you multitask? So. I mean, okay. uh, yeah, exactly. I, I, so no, I, it, it will get quicker. I'm, I'm sure of that. But right now it's a long process. So, but when you're looking at the two of them against that black backdrop and they're like, quote unquote, in the metaverse together, What's actually happening is that they've both had their full facial features and bodies scanned. That's right. And so you're watching an animated approximation of how they're talking. Or, exactly. Yeah. So, they're so why, in, why do we need that? Well, okay. So on, on, it looks on its face like a much better version of what they had beforehand, which Michael was talking about, that you were going to be in virtual reality and sitting around with other people. I think what was really interesting about the most recent product announcements that Meta made last week was that they really took a page out of Apple's book. So they, before Apple came out with the Vision Pro, Meta was all about, you're going to hang out with your friends in virtual reality and play these games and just talk and hang out. It really did not resonate. And in fact, even their own employees were like, no, I don't, I don't want any part of that. Apple came out and said, we're going to layer computing on top of the real world. And so you go from virtual reality to augmented reality or mixed reality, as they talk about it. And, and Meta, I think, 
saw that vision and pivoted a little bit and the technology has gotten better. And so now their vision much more approximates Apple's vision, except it's more social now. So I think what was special about what you saw with Lex Friedman is not the fact that they can put these uh, virtual reality avatars together in, in VR. It's what happens next, which is that there's going to come a point where you slip these goggles on, you're looking in the room, but Josh and I can be here, you know, in person and Batnick could be anywhere. But with these goggles, it will look like that Lex approximation is with us here together. I mean, that's and magic. that's where things it's get magic. interesting. Yes, absolutely. So we're so still- it's like, so, um, it's, yeah. a, it's a, it, it reminds me of like when they make movies and the two actors are not together, but they need them to be together. Or they have one actor playing like a twin of himself and they're both on screen at the same time. Correct. That's, so that's like this technology now available to everyone. Now it gets even crazier because imagine we have the three of us and we put in some artificial intelligence avatar that we can talk to for fact checks or that can, you know, if you're, let's say you're just hanging out mm. with your friends and you want to have another friend in the room. Let's say you're lonely with three, you want a fourth then all of a sudden AI avatars are going to come in. But and you have to be wearing them. the thing on your face to see yeah, that person. And, and the form factor is definitely going to get thinner as yeah, computing sure. gets better and we start to learn how to make this stuff more efficient. And Apple really aimed for like the more chic version of the glasses. They just couldn't do it technologically. That's why the Vision Pro looks exactly like the Quest and has a battery pack, right? So we're not there technologically. And that's why when you think about this technology, you think about, the fact that it's going to take four or five years to get to where it needs to. And by the way, that could easily be 10, 15 years. It's going to take some time. But that being said, what I saw from Meta last week was the most lucid vision of the metaverse I've seen so far. It's not a bunch of cartoon characters playing around in virtual reality. It's the combination of the virtual and the real, and you layer in right. some AI. And actually, that sounds like a vision I, I can I, get behind. I would agree. The verisimilitude versus what they were doing a year ago where your avatar had no legs or, or whatever. Like this is, it yeah. seems like a, a step change, like fairly rapidly. I mean, to be, to be clear, they were well, wearing, were if say? I didn't describe it, they were wearing goggles, <laughs> yeah. but you, but they did not see each other's goggles. It's as if they were face to face. Correct. It's magic. Go on. My, what I'm going to say is Mark Zuckerberg's superpower is that he sees what other people in the tech world does and he adapts that for his products. And so he's done it to Evan Spiegel. You know, he did it at Kevin Systrom when he brought in Instagram. And I think he's doing it to Tim Cook right now. Where, all the great, all the great artists yes, steal. exactly. He's That's stealing okay. and he's so good at it. Yeah. And I think without the Vision Pro announcement, that Meta might have been still in the place where they were trying to get us all into virtual reality. So they, they saw what Apple did and said, as quick as we can. Absolutely. Apple and Apple also created the vision, you know, it took the vision that Meta had and brought it to so many more people. To be clear, there's a lot at stake when you're running a race against Apple on the hardware side to become a de facto standard of anything. Because if you lose to them, then the only way your product will be available is through Apple hardware, ergo, through Apple's I iOS what about Android? Uh, store. And then you're paying a royalty to Apple forever. If Zuckerberg can get his hardware to to like into enough hands where it becomes its own thing, Apple need not be involved. So That's the, the stakes are forking over a third of your money to Cupertino or not when you're in the hardware race with Apple. Exactly right. When I sat with Zuckerberg for my book, Always Day One, I the last thing I spoke to him was about VR, by the way, 2019. And then, and then you guys wrestled. Yeah, we did. We fought. Um, he won. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but I said, you know, don't you want an operating system of your own? And he like picked up his so Android. I am an operating system. Correct. <laughs> picked up his Android very emphatically and was like, I don't like 
being subject. I'm just paraphrasing. I don't like being subject to other people's rules. I have a different interaction layer that I would create if I was doing the phone. They did try to create the phone in the past. And he said, that is what we're trying to push forward to in virtual reality. It wasn't called the metaverse then. And then obviously that becomes the vision. And now you see, by the way, you see Apple tried to, you know, kneecap the whole business with this anti-tracking move. So that is the prayer from them. What do you mean? Well, you know, those, those notifications in your phone that say, ask app not to track. You know, that was Facebook's whole business was tracking you yeah. off the app right, yeah. and then seeing if you converted and helping the advertisers optimize those ads. So when they're not able to do that, that really, I mean, it cost them $10 billion. They that, said. Like that day, the market got crushed. Exactly. And they've, they've come back from that in a nice right. way. Right. So Zuckerberg does not want to spend the next 10 years beholden to um, the, the, the app store. And the Correct. only way around that is you have to own the hardware and you have to get that hardware into a lot of hands. And if it can even be the Android of virtual reality, Good so enough. not the best, but Good the enough. cheapest and the one that people use, you know, by and large, then it's a, just a com- complete boon for Meta. And I think, Josh, you and I were talking about this way back when Meta stock was was down. And it was like, if you bought it at the at the trough, we didn't know it was the trough at that I point. I think Michael did. I literally you did. You did. Yeah. So it's a double bet, right? Because either the metaverse works out and they've solved this or they give up on the metaverse, cut the costs. And you win anyway. And then you, exactly. So, yeah. And that's really proven out. So they kind of did all that cost cutting, but they never gave up on Meta. They just stopped talking on the metaverse. Correct. They just stopped talking about it. Kept spending. Kept spending. And then now they actually have something to show for that spending. It's not a commercial product yet, but it's the Ray-Bans are on the way. Yes. That'll, when are those going up for sale? They, well, they already have a version of the Ray-Bans. They are called Ray-Ban Stories, but now they're just going to put much more technology The one inside. they just showed off this week. When, like, is that Christmas? I don't know the, the, the ship date. I mean, these ship dates also tend to push out a bit. Like Apple with the vision process is coming next, early next year. We'll see what happens. But I think, yeah, I, from my recollection, it's late this year, early next. So we've we've got we've got this thing from that Facebook is building, Apple's thing is coming. Ben Thompson said, quote, there's a hardware breakthrough waiting to happen, just like the internet created the conditions for the smartphone breakthrough to happen. That's right. I mean, it's like I'm like I'm saying, like the, you, the, we're not at the place technologically where you can put these on. I think Josh, you called it what birth control. Yeah, right? don't go by me though. Yeah, but I have no, horrible instincts. Everyone's going to be wearing them in two years. I, I mean, let's see. Let's see what happens when yeah. people are sitting on the on a plane in first class wearing a Vision Pro and how comfortable they're going to feel. Is that the Apple that. thing? The Apple. Oh, thing. I will. I'll, I will buy that. I don't know if I'm going to spend three thousand dollars for the first version. I will probably buy that within the first three iterations. Well, we spoke about that. That was my first use case. Imagine being on an airplane yeah, right? I love it. and watching a hundred foot uh, movie screen. Right. And I'm I, a big sensory deprivation guy. I have, okay. I have like in my, in my office at home, I have like double blackout shades. Mm-hmm. Like nothing would make me happier than just leaving the planet via goggles. Can AI and NVIDIA, I'm not NVIDIA, I'm sorry. Um, AI and all of this stuff like help us get here quicker I think it's so. So the, it really is a hardware problem, and AI can help a little bit with hardware, uh, but AI I think mostly will help improve the experience. I think you have the best hardware company in the world in Apple trying to solve the form factor, and once they launch this, they're going to see some enthusiasm. People, there. What do you mean, solve it aesthetically so it looks less dorky, or Correct. solve it so that it's more powerful and weighs less? Not only, I mean both. Okay. Right. Th- those are two sides of the same coin. So it's going to have to get smaller. It's going to have to look better. And you're, you're thinking about it, like you're bringing it on the plane. A lot of people are going to say, do I want to have that in my 
my uh, carry-on or not. It's, it's going to compete with a lot of stuff. So if and when, and this is the hardware breakthrough that I think Ben is trying to get, get at, if and when you can slip a pair of glasses on and it's going to happen and you enter that world, oh my God. that is going to be I'm so nice. Oh, Can't wait. <laughs> All right, call it. Take it easy. <laughs> it's a family show. Uh, <laughs> over time, AI will be the biggest technological shift we see in our lifetimes. In 2048, if somewhere in the world a teenager looks at all we've built with AI and shrugs, we'll know we succeeded. That's Sundar. That's right. Sundar Pichai from uh, Google. Yeah, I mean, that's what he's been saying. So I remember I was in the in the crowd in San Francisco in 2016, 2017, where Sundar was talking about how AI is going to be the next breakthrough uh, for humankind after fire and the wheel. And everyone was like, well, that's a little weird. He skipped over some stuff like vaccines. Exactly, you know? yeah, all right, cut. No, but there were... There were um, there were indications at that point. We were at that point really teaching computers how to be able to see with a, a version of the technology called computer vision and process language with natural language processing. And I think Sundar and everybody in Google saw where this was going to go, where the computers would be able to see our world better, be able to process what we're saying better, be able to speak better. And then you're gonna, you would get to a point where they could be starting to show some of the breakthroughs that we've seen this year or in, over the past year, right? That, th that they can talk to you like a regular person, that they can help you in your everyday efforts. And if you're a technology company, you salivate over that because ultimately, I think it's every technology company's goal to be as close to the human experience or as layer over the human experience as possible. So obviously the most successful te tech product of our time is the iPhone, right? It's basically that. We're seeing building toward that in, in virtual reality and augmented reality with the Vision Pro and the Quest 3. And then if you have AI, right, AI is, is not a hardware product. It's more of like this piece of technology that mediates your entire life, whether that's help me book this ticket, help me figure out what my boss is trying to get me to do, write my essay in school. And so that is it's going to get us to this point where we're just closer to technology. And, that, and back to the hardware thing, yeah. though, I want to ask you, like people say, like, why would I pay 28 times earnings for Apple? Maybe this is the answer. No one else, maybe three companies on earth might have the capability on the hardware side to deliver these experiences that you're talking about at scale in an affordable way over the next five years. This is not going to be a startup raising $500 million and, and building it. We know right. it's going to be either Meta and Apple or Apple or both. Google. And maybe Google. But like the the list ends, and that's that's the reason why Berkshire. these companies are being valued. Yeah, Berkshire. That, but but like that's an answer to that question of like why why am I paying up for these stocks? I know they can't grow as fast as they used to. Right. Well, if this is where things are going in the next decade, we're not going to be talking about iPhone sales anymore. Well, Josh, let me ask you this: Does the new interest this rate? Is my show. You don't ask me. I ask it. All right, go ahead. All right, I'm, I'm go going to throw it out anyway. Go ahead. Is does the new interest rate environment change that? Because if you had a 28 multiple on Apple and you were expecting this to come, let's say in five years, six years, but we'd think now that rates are going to be higher for longer. No. Do you have the not the Apple luxury to wait? No. So Alex, not, again, it, not if Apple. It, if it was going, don't, if it was going to, it would have. Look at look at look at how Google is trading right now. Does not give a shit about six six or five percent right. interest rates mm -hmm. at all. Yeah, I think these companies are they're they're now big enough that they could weather three years of higher rates. And by the way, rates are higher in comparison to where they were two years ago. They're not like absolutely high, 
in the 1990s, 5% was the interest rate. I feel like, is, is AI like the new cloud? In other words, it was what we were like obsessed about for these companies. And now that- Like maybe, the next driver, you like, mean? Like, yeah, maybe it's good timing because a lot of the cloud stuff, particularly Amazon, is is not it's growing the way- to tail off. Yes. I, I definitely think so. I mean, it, it has all the same markings and it's going to, by the way, boot, be a boon to the cloud. Like you think about Amazon trying to revive- Growth in AWS. I mean, this AI thing is a gift, especially so, yeah, because flatline. So let me ask you. Let me right. ask you this. Uh, I think that one of the biggest risks to the market is that there's a hiccup in the AI story. Um, mathematically, if the companies that are most involved in AI take a hit, mm -hmm. then the whole market's going to take a hit just because of how big they are in the in the indices. But like, I genuinely have the opinion that AI saved the stock market this year. Right. We were in in March and April. We were that, – that was it. We were going into the recession. By the way, you said that early, and I think I probably left, but I think you were right. I really believe this. So they did a CFO survey throughout the course of 2022, and I think like 100% of CFOs were ready for recession. And then we finally had the bank panic. We kept saying the Fed's going to raise rates until something breaks. Okay, they broke something. And then like NVIDIA came out in May and completely changed the conversation for investors you had like Steve Cohen like be like, actually, I'm pretty bullish. I'm really excited about this AI stuff. Like all of a sudden, stock market people mm -hmm. had a new thing that they could focus on that wasn't uh, inflation or wasn't the Fed's going to break something. I think that that uh, played a really big role in the NASDAQ. Obviously, Look at this. So we're looking yeah. at NVIDIA data center revenue. Yeah. And so <laughs> this was the thing that changed. This was the thing that changed the course of the market in May. And then it continued throughout the summer. They did it again. You know, NVIDIA did it again. They were doing the $4 billion a quarter in 2022, and they did $11 billion last But here's time. the question. What if we just got ahead of ourselves and we start to see the usage of large language models drop off and we start to hear from the data center companies like Oracle and et cetera, like, oh, you know what? Actually, we might be overspending on AI relative to the need right now, and we're going to pull back a little bit. That could absolutely kneecap the S&P 500 if, if that – I'm not saying it's going to happen. But do you think that there's a danger that short-term, like we did with the internet in 2000, that maybe we're overbuilding for AI relative to the amount of use and demand that actually exists in 2023? Isn't that like a real risk right now? Yes, let me give two parts uh, to this answer. So the first thing that's going to be really interesting that we're going to see over the next couple months is – we were able to see AI, I agree with you, I think AI has saved the market this year. And we were able to see that because there was both a consumer and an enterprise story, right? ChatGPT, when it came out, the was the fastest story. growing yeah. uh, consumer product in history since surpassed by Threads. And ChatGPT has, I think, more staying power than Threads. Um, and then we saw all the enterprises say, I want to you know, get onto this. And then all of a sudden, it's you have investors who've used this, they've talked to ChatGPT, and they see companies want to handle it. And they're like, oh, okay, I'm bought in now. Let's like, and you see the real numbers from NVIDIA. So they're going to put money there. I think the challenge right now is going to be that the consumer demand is going to drop off. I mean, ChatGPT had declining usage in uh, May, June, and July. Is that true? Yes. And I don't think yeah. most people are even aware of that. Correct. And, and it, it ticked a little bit back up in August, but we're going to see what's going to happen. And so I think that- I have a theory about that. Schools- yeah. 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 The school I mean, is out. There's a lot less need for ChatGPT because that's its primary use case is, right. is faking your homework. So I, I and, and to build on that, I think that that students use ChatGPT because a generalized bot was actually good for them. Where we're going to move toward 
is we're going to see more specialized bots come out. We're going to see bots that will help you with homework. We're going to see bots that like help you with sport, like, like you know, purpose built for right? a, a use case. There's going to be investment bots, and and you're not going to want to go to a general one unless they someone builds this general one that blows everything else out of the water. So I think the real test here is going to be when consumer when consumer use tails off, and enterprises are still building to get it into the right place. Is that dip that you're going to talk about going to happen? I think, and I think so, that's a real possibility. We're so far away from that. Most consumers aren't using ChatGPT. Like most people just don't know about it. I think probably most people listen to the show do. Right. But most of the world has no idea. But isn't there the danger that everyone tries it once or twice? They're somewhat satisfied with it or it's frustrating and they're like, F that doesn't work. Yes. And then all of a sudden that shows up in chip ordering and we just have a stutter stop. Yes, like, th yes there is a risk. It happened with of the internet. No, of course, no, they built, they built way too much fiber cable, right? Like, yes, there is a risk. I think the other side of that is that's so- like, I don't know, G like GPUs, like, is it possible that these massive orders that NVIDIA is talking about have a lot of double ordering because people are worried about getting locked out of the market? If demand tails off and those double orders become canceled orders, what does that do when NVIDIA comes out and says it? What does that do to the market? And the enthusiasm that has come from, that's what I think is like the big risk between now and the end of the year. Right. Well, I mean, supply is the constraint right now, like like you mentioned, right? So people just can't get their hands on right. enough of these H100 chips. At least that that's the story that we is. think is true currently. Oh, I mean, I suppose speaking with tech people, it's definitely the case. Like there's like this whole black market and people are like, you know, got some GPUs. Is it still on so fire the way it was I, I think it is ago. still on fire. So, but there is this moment that I think we're all talking about here where there's a lot of testing going on, consumer testing, enterprise testing. And, uh, you know, there's got to be a point where there's ROI. Like right now, you're building because you have to build AI. You're trying, you have your engineers on it. You're saying, what can we do with this technology to get us in front of our competitors? If that tails off, then yeah, there's there's real risk. But I, I think there's still room for NVIDIA to grow. I don't think that ChatGPT has scratched the surface of what it eventually is going to do for us. And not just ChatGPT, but all these things. So there was, I saw, they tweeted the other day, somebody took a picture of a bicycle. Did you see this? And said, like, help oh. me help me fix this. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was it's magic. Well, because ChatGPT Plus can now ingest photos, it can talk, and it has many more capabilities than it did in the past. One of my favorite ones of these is that uh, people are drawing logos and they're feeding it in to ChatGPT or Bing and saying, hey, can you actually make a graphically designed, like a nice-looking logo and Duncan, how come we're not doing and that? And it can do it. I've, I've looked into some options, some similar things. I've tried some of the video ones. Right. And... Uh, I've gotten some horrifyingly terrible results, but uh, like kind of cool, but also terrible. You just don't know how to prompt, boy. Yeah, so, I guess so it's to, my prompting. So to Josh's point, David Condit Sequoia wrote, the important question to be asking is how much of this CapEx build-out is linked to true end customer demand and how much of it is being built in anticipation of future end customer demand? This is the $200 billion question. Right. So we'll say. What's $200 billion? Is that the annual He said that's, that's, that's the amount of- uh, ROI that you need okay. from all this buying. But I found that, article to be extremely confused to me. I mean, he's a startup investor. He's talking about following the GPUs, saying like, what are we going to do to make these GPUs worthwhile? And it's like, it's the strangest form of investing to me. Like, I thought it would be much more product focused, talking about, like, he's talking about infrastructure. He's like, the whole piece is about how we don't need to follow infrastructure anymore. But the whole piece is still about what infrastructure. follow infrastructure? Basically saying like, all this infrastructure is being built and we need to make it useful. Okay. But like, 
Well, yeah. Why? I mean, I would start by, there's so many possibilities with AI right now. Like to me, it's not a question of how do we make the infra. It's such so, so, so much more technical than your average startup founder is thinking. Startup founders are thinking, where's the problem? How can we solve it? What technology can we use to solve it? Right. And this was just like this really convoluted way to where he had he had an insight, right? Which is that there's a lot of infrastructure that's being built. But well, so but that it's to me it's a legitimate question because you do need an ROI at some point. We learned this, we learned this from Meta two years ago. Mm-hmm. There is a point at which investors say, no more spending. You're not doing nothing is coming of all this spending. And they revolted and the stock price went down 70%. That could happen to any of these companies that are throwing all this money at building out, you know, AI uh, uh, capability. No we doubt. don't know when. Yeah, but this guy is, he's a private sector investor yeah. and he's hes investing in startups. Like if he was, so it's so interesting. He almost takes this insight that there's so much spending going on in infrastructure and we need, we need to produce value from that. It's a public market question, yeah. and he's writing to private market startups, and that's why it feels so confused to me. I think it's a ve- very valid point, but like at the end, he goes, "Okay, and now as a community, we need to shift our thinking away from infrastructure and towards end consumer value." And it's like, bro, you're a venture capitalist. Your entire job, like, why are you telling me that we're shifting thinking away from this? Your entire job is funding startups, uh, and you're you're taking your time to write about infrastructure and not about the possibilities that you see startups, you know, being able to tackle. Like oh, it I almost get, brings me back to the Mark Andreessen. Like it's time to build. You know, however funny that thing looks in retrospect, like that's the VC's job. It's setting the vision, talking about what you want to build, and then funding the companies that are going to. One build of the it. things that we hear a lot now on Wall Street, people are. Like, you know how there's like a meme, like like somebody starts saying something and then other people start saying it and then it just becomes accepted? Yeah. So one of the recurring things that I've been hearing all summer is that all the money is going to be made on in the software layer of AI. Like, in other words, way too much focus on NVIDIA, not enough focus on— Picks and shovels? No, like the, um, the actual user interface. Like the money, mm-hmm. like in every technology wave— the true value is not captured on the hardware side for long. Eventually, the value is captured on the software side. What when I say something like that to you, is that just like Wall Street nonsense, or what? Like, what do you think of that statement? No, that that totally jives into a big debate that's going on in the tech world right now, where people are saying that some of the programs that are being built with AI are thin wrappers on top of open AI technology. So basically, it's like, all right, well, piggybacking exactly. Uh, OpenAI, the company. Yeah, you put like UI on top of like the underlying technology and called it a startup. Is and, that bad? You know, it, it's interesting because- Because couldn't it, you say everyone did that with the internet? Exactly. I mean, that's what happened with cloud computing. Isn't so many of our big software programs, actual thin wrappers on top of cloud. It's when you build something, and it goes back to what I was saying before. It's like when you build something that actually resonates with people and they want to use, that's worth way more than actually building the picks and shovels in the back end. So- you know, I, I think that that is, that is 100% true. And I think we're in this really interesting moment with AI right now, which is that we've seen a preview of what the great leap forward can look like with these chatbots. It's not there yet, right? We need better memory in these things. We need them to be more applicable in specific use cases. So, we, But we everybody who's used ChatGPT now sees the roadmap. The problem is that at the moment, what you're seeing companies do with the current technology is really evol- uh, 
yeah, evolutionary, not revolutionary. Sure. So we have the preview of the revolution, we have the evolution, and we're waiting for that to translate both in the technology side and the product side to the revolution, and we're not there yet, so however impressive it is. Do you think Sundar is right that if we succeed by 2048, kids will shrug their shoulders? Like, are we going to get to what the ultimate vision for this thing is? Absolutely. I mean, we talk, we talk a lot about technology, like the marvel of technology as we build it. And then it just becomes standard. Like yeah, there was a it. lot of discussion yeah. when we went from VHS to DVD to Blu-ray. And then all of a sudden people are just like streaming, streaming on Netflix. No one cares about like where the packets are held in which server. They're just like, they start talking about, and by the way, when it, when it buffers or it doesn't work out, you, what you the go, this thing yeah. sucks. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> shit. Um, and can, that's what Sundar is talking can about. Can you tell us about Microsoft Copilot, uh, our friend, Eric Jackson, uh, he tweeted about, I guess, a Jeffrey's report saying that Microsoft Copilot could do 19 billion in revenue by 2025. What is Copilot? And yeah, and what's like the significance of it? So Copilot is as you're coding. It's similar to like AI assisted writing because they bought coding. they bought GitHub, which Correct. is the biggest coding repository in the world. Yeah. Okay. So as you're coding, the AI will complete your code for you. Like it knows where you're trying to get to and exactly. it just will do it? It will give you suggestions. You hit tab. How much is that worth? That seems, sounds like it would be worth a lot of money. Well, that's the big question. So if you're an engineer and you're using this, it can make you more productive. But like it sounds it sounds amazing in theory. This stuff is really hard to put into practice when you're actually doing it. So if you think about – I'm going to use an example that I know well. If you think about AI-assisted writing. Okay, right now there's a labs function in Google Docs where yeah. you can be writing and say, here's a sentence, write for me. And could it bring up the worst writer to become an average writer? Yes. But does it take an average writer and make them a great writer? No. No, because it's trained on the But medium. it doesn't have to. Most writing is mediocre by, by by its nature it's supposed mm -hmm. to be. So so then think about coding, right? If you have a if if it allows the average like entry level coder to become proficient. That's worth something. But when you think about it from a CEO level, right, you have all you, you have your your great coders, you have your mediocre coders, and you say, okay, now use this product and let's see what happens. Are great coders artists though? Or are they just like very proficient, but technically and not like creatively? I don't I don't know the answer. I'm asking you. I think there's more more art to it than a lot of people recognize. Okay. Like, that's why you're able to see the discrepancy between what they call like a regular uh, coder and a 10x developer, right? Someone okay. who can develop better. So if than you're a startup though, like you probably just want people that can get get it done. Correct. More so than you want like the Picasso of coding. Yeah, and so this is the thing. So I speak to every CEO likes to tell me about how they're using GitHub Copilot and their engineers are using it. And just on a whim, I was just like, well, is it helping? You know, can you see the concrete results? Yeah. And I've had one who's said yes. Okay, what so do many, the other ones say? They say, well, we're not sure yet. And it's, you know, it takes a bit of an adjustment. And but where would that show Where would that show up? In the efficiency? Yeah. That in the amount they can get done? Exactly. That your okay. team is just building more than it could previously. So I think people really underestimate the change management involved in deploying this stuff. A lot of it sounds great in theory. The AI will write your paragraph. The AI will write your code. And you go and practice and it's a little bit harder. So, you know, I think that this, this um, estimate that we're going to do $19 billion in revenue for Microsoft Copilot is is pretty bullish. Well, how, do they, how do they sell it? Well, they just sell it to It's to like, it's like a SaaS? It's like yeah, an add-on SaaS? Seat. Okay. Yeah. And okay. so, look, I think that there are companies that are going to be able to figure this out. But there's, again, it's going to 
you know, like you said, Josh, you're going to start having people ask what the ROI is on these things, especially yeah. in this moment of efficiency across every tech company, across every company in the economy. And at a certain point, it goes from, we have to be trying this, we need to be using this, to, well, what has this actually done? Are we so shipping that's what I'm product? Wor- I'm worried about that moment. Even if it's just a hiccup, it's going to it's gonna have an impact. Definitely in the stock a legitimate market. worry. What is this doing to the labor market? Not, not what will it do for right. the rest of us, but what is happening inside the AI labor market? Who's working there? You mean you're you're talking about the developers or yeah. like the people that are- People that are building. That are building the technology or the people that are using the technology? Building. Oh, man. I mean, right now, so- AI, even in 2016, was a hot field. Like you could make a million dollars as a developer working on something like a computer vision inside Meta, right? Just having the technology that identifies images. Because like, AI- Like not hot dog. Correct. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's One of my favorite things Facebook. ever. Yeah. What? Right. I don't know what you're talking about. Remember when Jin, w- Jin Wang on uh, Silicon Valley oh, invented AI, yes, but the yes, only thing yes, it was programmed yes, to yes. do was tell you if something was a hot dog or not? I miss that show. Right. Yeah. So, so he's, he's called not hot dog and they don't know why until he shows it to them. And I think he puts a banana on the table and the AI says not hot dog. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, by the way, you definitely had, this is a real application. Yeah, so yeah. when I was out in Silicon Valley, I was like watching the show. I was like, oh, okay, this is like a little too close to home because I'm yeah. hanging out with these people every day. And it's just like watching a documentary of what's going on. But, um, but yeah, so, so engineers are in demand. And I also, uh, I was at a LinkedIn event this week where they're starting, they gave some update uh, uh, updates on the data that they have in terms of how prevalent this is in certain fields. And it's actually quite minimal. Like not many people are- Wait, wait, say this again. On link, LinkedIn is telling you how many, how much hiring is happening for AI? So how many people inside certain industries are listing AI as a skill oh, on okay. their profile? Okay. And when you hear Everyone that- Everyone is, no? Well- Actually, I, would was, I was quite surprised by okay. what happened because so technology, information, and media, there's 2.2% on LinkedIn that are AI skilled. Uh, education, 1.2%. Professional services, 0.9%. Financial services, 0.9%. Manufacturing, 0.8%. What does it mean? Wait, wait. What does it mean to be AI skilled? So it's, uh, from my understanding, is that people list AI as a skill or within their profile as like something For they've the been clicks. using. For the, likes. for the clicks or for the likes. But by the way, though, that seems like fairly small numbers of people that are actually using AI and, and talking about it. On what if profiles. I change the name of my blog to the reformbroker.ai? Do I count as AI skilled? I would say so. Okay. So, so it's- You know I, there's a lot of that shit going on, Oh my right? God. It's like the Long Island blockchain uh, That's ICT right. company, That's right. right? When Back in the crypto That's days. Right. Okay. So, so it is interesting because you would think there would be this rush of people to add AI to their profiles. And I'm using this as like a proxy to see how much AI we're actually seeing become prevalent in the economy. And right now it's it's extremely small, uh, but it's growing fast. So they say that there's been an increase in financial service, a 30x increase in people putting that uh, that skill in their profile in financial service, 29x in retail, 24x. Oh, can I tell you one thing? In wholesale, Industri- industry-wise. Right. Financial services will be the biggest bullshit artists about AI. Of, of all, like, wait till you see what's coming. But ha- so hasn't automation and artificial intelligence really trans- already transformed I don't know. the financial service I'm talking industry. about at the low end, people selling trade bots. And this oh, is yeah. the, next, the next frontier that the SEC is going to have three years worth of cases is going to be all of the fake AI shit. Like mm. people are going to start announcing well, with that's any, coming. With any great boom comes an equal or greater grift. 
That's right. Oh, that's good. Who said that? Is that Peter Parker? Peter Parker, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> can you tell us about can you tell us about Mark Zuckerberg trying to destroy Sam Altman? Yes. Okay. This is one of my hot takes that I have. Yeah. Um, I'll be we writing like hot about takes. it. Um, Nicole, so, turn on the TikTok camera. All right, okay. go ahead. So uh, ChatGPT was the fastest growing consumer product in history. Who makes consumer products? Mark Zuckerberg. Who doesn't like other consumer products coming up and challenging him? Mark Zuckerberg. And it just so happens that ChatGPT is a chat application in the same way that Zuckerberg's two marquee products really are WhatsApp and Messenger. And you can throw Instagram in there, by the way. Instagram is effectively a messaging app. Zuckerberg can't let this stand, right? Yeah. So he does two things. What, this aggression? This aggression, right? You can't, I mean, OpenAI is coming for not only his status as the world's best producer of consumer products. We're also funded better than any competitor he has ever faced. Absolutely. And he's gonna, not Evan Spiegel. Correct. Okay. And it has Microsoft's backing. Right. Okay. So he does two very interesting things to try to kneecap them. One is, so OpenAI has this GPT-4, which is their open, their, it's their uh, large language model that underlies ChatGPT. Zuckerberg releases Llama, uh, Llama 2. And Llama 2 is an open source model that does the same thing as GPT-4. And he says, anyone can use this for free and customize it. Wait, was there a Llama 1? I believe so. Oh, so okay. Is Llama 2 the one with Clubber Lang? Which one is that? I don't know. Wait, are we saying that this is now a rival to ChatGPT? So, like, we're on ChatGPT4, right. we're on Llama 2, so, and they're going to just keep Have updating. you ever seen a Llama 2 in the wild? I have. <laughs> I mean, I've seen developers. No, but, they're gonna keep, but are they going to keep iterating, like, along those lines yeah. where every year it's like, okay, now we're up to Llama 3? So, That's the fight? But this isn't the chatbot. This is the technology that other people can build on. So, ChatGPT really was a demo to show how good this GPT technology was. So if you want to build a specialized bot, you can use the underlying technology, pay OpenAI for it, and build. Okay, so got it. Facebook has, or Meta, whatever they want to call it, they've released the same technology for free. So if you're trying to build and you want to use a, tech, a, a large language model to build something, you have a choice, pay OpenAI or use Facebook's free version. That's crazy. How could they do that? Like, it's, how could they afford to do that? Yeah, what does Zuckerberg get out of Because a lot of, that? of money for compute right. to, to run oh, this stuff. So it's the model. I mean, they, they spent the money to build the model. But if you want to run a program based off of the model, you basically take Facebook's model, and then you pay for the computing costs to train Where, it Like an AWS further. or whatever? AWS. Okay, so AWS, it. by the way, huge beneficiary of this because they have this open strategy that basically they say, if you have a model, put it on AWS, and we'll let our clients build with it. But so, Zuckerberg said, does this why? To go to war with... Microsoft? So I think in one way it is to challenge OpenAI and to undercut OpenAI. And there's another benefit. But to what end? Because so that they don't cannot, become the, the Google. Correct. They don't become the de facto standard. The stronger that OpenAI. Yeah. The stronger OpenAI is, the weaker Meta is on that front. And the second thing he does is he, and it's just coming out now, he releases not one chatbot, but a slew of chatbots that were just announced last week. So you can go into WhatsApp or Messenger now and request early access where you can have a my AI or meta AI bot um, that you could use for just general chat TPT like stuff. But then there are different variations of the bot. So there's one that will talk sports with you that like Tom Brady's face is in. There's one that will like take you on like different text-based games that Snoop Dogg is in. There's a personal trainer that Dwayne Wade is in. And they're like, kind of like, as you're typing, they respond and like the avatars These are These like are different chatbots for different use cases. I heard about that. Exactly. And this is Facebook? 
Facebook is doing this. You said so, that Zuck versus Elon was a sideshow. That's right. Zuck versus Sam is the main event. Sam doesn't appear to be very uh, pugilistic, though. He doesn't seem to want the smoke. Uh, Correct. He's he seems like fairly like uh, out 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 of the public eye when possible. And this is that's why I I don't think this is a, a sideshow. Okay. Uh, this is this is not going to be solved by. A wrestle match in the octagon in okay. Vegas. This is a hard. This is a spending war. Giant versus giant business fight. And you're saying Amazon wins no matter what. Oh yeah. Okay, I yeah. like to hear that. Uh, you got another hot take here. OpenAI itself is <laughs> overrated. Yeah. Tell me more. Okay, so here's my take on why OpenAI is overrated. First of all, let me give credit to OpenAI. They sort of pushed this to the forefront for everybody. Yeah. You had Dolly, which was their image generation that came out, and it's amazing. ChatGPT, the demo over on top of GPT-4. Hasn't, hasn't even been a year right, yet. November crazy. last year, which is insane because yeah. it feels like this stuff has been around forever. Okay. The thing about both of those technologies is that they are now commodified, right? Already? They built this, yes. They built this on top of an innovation that Google had created, the Transformer model. Google had, had it working so well internally that one of their engineers thought it was sentient and yeah, a person I remember, I remember before they released it. Yeah. By the way, that was one of my, <laughs> I had a conversation with him uh, on Big Technology Podcast. It was one of the more fascinating, interesting conversations I've had. Okay. okay. Um, so, so, but this stuff was commodified. So you can now, so not only does OpenAI have the chat technology, Google has it, Amazon has it, uh, Facebook has it, like it's all over the place. And so it's, and, and then uh, the image generation. I mean, you already see that something like Midjourney is better than Dolly 3. Okay. In many cases. So the main innovation is commodified. That means that they're in the hits business now. If they can't keep churning out hits, then hits, they can't keep Hits pace. would be what applications using the technology. And research that advances the status quo ahead of the others before they can catch up. Okay. The other thing I'll say is that the leadership, so the main person, the chief scientist there, Ilya Sutskever, uh, was- At OpenAI. Correct. At OpenAI was recruited by Elon Musk and not Sam Altman. And now Musk and Altman are at odds. You also have the fact that um, some of the key early OpenAI people have moved and started their own company called Anthropic, which last week uh, announced a fundraise from Amazon up to $4 billion. That was a no-brainer. They were right. probably sitting there like, we could set a company up and within a month get a gigantic check from they're anyone doing, that exactly. wants they're to do it. And now Google and they did is it. apparently ready to come in for $2 more billion. Google had already Into invested. Anthropic. Anthropic. So they're getting, and they're more neutral. And OpenAI is tied to Microsoft. That's going to limit its ability to really branch out. The best place to be in this world is to be neutral and anthropic. Well, the, maybe the best place to be is neutral, but a close second is to, is to have Microsoft with an unlimited checkbook. So my point is that that could actually end up hampering them because Microsoft okay. is going to want OpenAI in Azure. So what happens to people that are used to building with AWS? All of a sudden, they're working with anthropic technology and they're working with Mark Zuckerberg. We had, so that's like competing standards. The world has experienced that. We had... I mean, we had the Windows hegemony, Correct. and then Apple came along and you know rendered that useless. <laughs> yep. We saw it with search. Who's going to be the loser here? Who? Well, I'm like, who's going to get left behind? Yeah, the Bears. It's gonna, it's gonna, <laughs> it is. I think Josh is right. Like, it is going to be a rising ship lifting all boats in this world. Uh, Google has. There's a potential that Google is left behind. It might change the way we search, and it might you know push people off of Google Cloud. Uh, a platform. For instance, I had a story last week about how 
Google's technology broke for a certain instance of Anthropic Tech, and they sent their engineers working seven-day weeks for about a month trying to fix this cluster. I mean, that's really bad. Doesn't and then they went with Amazon Google. as a result of that, or was it's it happening? It's not a in- result. It was already in the works, okay. but it's all just like, it can't feel good to be an engineer who you're like working, you know, Saturdays and Sundays and you see them sign a, up to $4 billion deal with Amazon. So you think the days of open AI being the center of this conversation are going to wane? Spot on. Yeah. So okay. I think there's, there's, there's obviously so much excitement, rightfully so. I can't wait to see what the future holds for this technology. But speaking of getting left behind, I want to talk about something that Mark Benioff said because uh, there is a potential downside to this. San Francisco is now the number one AI city in the world. This is from George Peleg's article, by the way. Um, with eight of the top 20 companies based in San Francisco, uh, AI companies are seeking up to 1 million square feet of office space in the city. According to JLL, San Francisco's GDP growth and especially tech growth has been spectacular. Okay. Um, all right. So then Drawer said, uh, the AI boom is real and some people are moving back to San Francisco. I also have no reason to doubt the estimate of AI companies seeking up to 1 million square feet of office space. The problem is what happens in the rest of the city. About 30 million of office space in San Francisco is currently vacant. That's 30 times what the AI boom requires presently. Um, so that story is going to play out not just in San Francisco. But is there gonna is this going to like further bifurcate the economy? What if the economy goes into recession and there's like a, a an AI boom uh, alongside of it? Well, that's a great question. I think that the AI AI will be more distributed than that because it's not just a pure technology story. You're starting to see it end up in places like the legal field, the medical field. It's obviously in media already, and it will end up in financial services, and so. If AI does really well, there's going to be value that's created across industries. So I'm less worried. I am worried about San Francisco, although I was just there and it was quite nice. But I'm, I'm really less worried about this not – if it works, I think it will be widespread. I, I'm, not, I'm not too worried about yeah, that. The, I, worried. the iPhone was released into – basically into the teeth of the great financial crisis. Correct. Like this stuff does happen. Mm-hmm. regardless of what's going on in the overall so, economy. So what's, if, if Amazon is investing, whatever it is, $1.25 billion, could grow to $4 billion over time, what sort of valuation is Anthropic already getting? I think they're in the $40 billion range. And what do they have? I mean, they have, so they built similar stuff to, uh, compared to OpenAI. They have this model called Claude, which is also a chatbot. C L A U D. Yeah, it can do some interesting e. things, from what I understand. Yeah. It can, uh, e. you can ingest more text, so you can like basically the upload. E is for the, there's four E's. Yeah. The last E is. For, <laughs> okay. You can upload some more data into it, so it can like basically read a book and spit out things. I mean, open AI. Right, but this is the arm. That. This is the arms race. Like Correct. The, all of these different um, standards, they're all going to fight to become the preeminent because all the money is made. These are companies that are accustomed to monopoly markets. So we spoke right. about like, is, is, uh, are we overbuilding for the GPUs? I mean, the market cap of some of these companies that are heavily reliant on it, it's, it's hilarious. It's crazy. It's totally crazy. I mean, OpenAI is trying to raise, the, the rumor at is 90? they're trying to raise at 90 on $1 billion get, in revenue. I mean, so, come on. Are they going to get especially, it? Uh, of course they'll get it. Probably. You just go to Saudi Arabia. Why yeah. is it so hard for so, people to understand? All right. So this is hilarious. What a twist of fate this is. Anthropic, this is a uh, headline from uh, Fintech Frank and, oh, and everyone story. else. Anthropic's new raise can mean full payout for FTX creditors. What the f? 
does that mean? They had a small investment in Anthropic that's they were now the, worth so much. Can you imagine their steak, their steak is enough <laughs> oh to plug God. the hole? Seriously? They this were is... the lead on Series B for Anthropic, which means I've that always they're... said Sam Bankman-Fried right. is a fantastic investor. <laughs> Hold on. So stage. accidentally, stage. accidentally, <laughs> correct. all the money they sprinkled around for all the nonsense, real estate and pet projects, right. they happened to have put some money into a really good thing. Or and on paper. So this is going to plug Alameda's hole. Here's Unbelievable. The, the weird connection is that- Get so, him out of jail right now. I've heard enough. <laughs> right. I've heard enough. Free Sam. Michael Lewis, hold my beer. Let's give this guy a Nobel Prize. <laughs> so, oh man, how can I get some money to him? What are you to say? Go ahead. The weird connection is that, and I can't get too deep into this because I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, but Sam Bankman-Fried is what's called an effective altruist, which is basically like this idea of like, make a ton of money in business and then use it to improve the world. And the people who are basically running all throughout Anthropic are also effective altruists. So oh, the effective altruist oh. movement in some it's roundabout way How could I sell? saved FTX. All right, let's, do, let's do SBF. So the trial started this week. I think they did jury selection. Doesn't look like things are going well for old Sam. He, uh, he's got nine women, three men on the jury. Right. Uh, I read somewhere. Okay. Uh, that's not great for him. So, but you think that women are more likely to convict him? Uh, I think he's not in any way, shape, or form likable yeah. uh, to women in the way that I could pr- picture if they had like a bunch of not nerds, but like a bunch of like dudes. They might just be like, "Oh, the video game guy, right. ah, leave him alone." Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't theory. know. I could be wrong. Uh, I often am. Michael Lewis is all of a sudden worse than Sam Bankman-Fried. Is that what's going on this week? Could uh, you, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not on Twitter. Okay. Could you explain this to me? Josh is somehow not on Twitter, but he's aware of all the takes on Twitter. Well, because every very, article very suspicious. Josh, what is your burner handle? No, every article <laughs> is about Michael Lewis this week. It's way overdone. Yeah. It's not fair. And, no, and something is a really big deal on Twitter. Yeah, it leaks yeah. into articles because right. everyone on Twitter is a journalist. But I, just to clarify the same, it's not fair. I agree that the clips that came out of 60 Minutes looked as bad as everybody is he like saying soft that, uh, pe- He yeah, soft it's, it's, pedals it's not. Story. It's not good. Uh, a potential defense of Michael Lewis, not that he needs it, is that he could have spoken to 60 Minutes for 10 hours. But the part that's not fair is that people are just piling onto oblivion, that this guy's always been a fraud. He's always full of shit. A fraud? Like- Michael Lewis. That's what, they're, that, that's what people are calling Michael he's Lewis. A, so, he's a fraud because they think that he got paid by FTX to write that, this book. That's part of it. So that, all of that to me is way over the top. I, th- I think Matt Levinas, he always says, has a really mm-hmm. has has the right take on this. Matt said, "I am about halfway through going infinite Michael Lewis's book about SBF, and I am very much enjoying it. Many of the reviews that I have read of the book complain that Lewis does not sufficiently explain that Bankman-Fried is guilty and bad, actually. But that is not the book that he wanted to write, or the one that I want to read. He wanted to tell." The- he wanted to understand and explain Bankman-Fried's psychology and tell a good story. If you want to read a moral condemnation of crypto thrift, you can get that anywhere. You go to Michael Lewis for character and story. I, I, so I sort of get that. I would just say Michael Lewis writes novelizations of real life people. He has a, he has a plot and an archetype in advance before he starts writing. He's looking for outsiders, loners, people who are doing something really different, people that are quirky. And then, yes, he lionizes, like, these people because that's the device. That's how he tells these stories. He's not an investigative journalist. Does somebody think that he is? Well, that's not it. I think some of the quotes that he literally said out of his mouth were so 
far well, off the mark. He said it's not a Ponzi scheme. So so factually right. factually wrong. Right. And any perceived defense of this this monster is it's bad. Let's it's say so Mike, clear that he adores Sam. Yeah. yeah. I, so I I get that. I got that from the clips. Uh, I watched it on sixty minutes. I I was like. Holy shit, this is like Stockholm Syndrome. He said the world has a Sam Bankman-Fried-sized hole in it. Really rough. Really rough. Really rough. But but here's the thing. Does he have to write chapter one, Sam Bankman-Fried is a scumbag? Is that the only way that he can appease? My my problem with the piling on is, is it, and I know it's it's mob mentality, it's the internet, I, I I know how Twitter works. Can we not, can we find value in somebody's work and also disagree no. with one of their takes without no. absolutely He's corrupt. Without burying their entire existence. Like, okay, what he did, I don't agree with what he did. So, Does it make everything that he's ever done that much worse? Is he now always a fraud and an idiot? Yeah, actually, I hated all his books and the stupid like, movies. Like, we can't disagree, well, okay. we can't disagree with, so, what, with what somebody did. There there is Moneyball was a fraud. Here. I mean, look, there, there's some interesting context here, which is that the blindside book that he wrote, what he had, you now have Michael Orr in a very big dispute with the family that raised him. Right, so that's ugly. And that was almost a precursor. And the fact that, I, I mean, I agree with you, Michael. Like, I think the piling on has been overdone on Michael Lewis. I think that just looking at it from, you know, outside of that, it is, it's a huge missed opportunity. He spent, he met him a hundred times. He was there through the whole moment. I think it could have been done without saying Sam Bankman Freed is a scumbag on chapter one. I think his opportunity was he's he understands people, he understands systems. And his opportunity was I just witnessed one of the most egregious financial crimes of our lifetimes. And I'm gonna take you inside the psyche of like this. How person. how it was even possible. We love, we 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 love a hero story. I think we love even more the inside the head getting inside the head of someone who's truly not depraved, but like, you know, reckless to the point of being criminal. So I don't want to say too. I don't want to say too much on the Michael Lewis side because uh, Barry Redholtz, uh, my partner, Michael's partner, actually spent an hour and a half interviewing him. I think yesterday, today, mm-hmm. yesterday, yesterday, and that's going to come out the same day that this comes out. I think Masters in Business podcast for Bloomberg, and we'll know a lot more from Michael's side because this interview took place after. The Twitter pile on. Right. So maybe he'll react. I don't yeah, know. Barry, I haven't spoken about Barry it. Barry got to ask him about that. Here, here's an interesting take, which is, you know, obviously factual from Dan Primick at Axios. He said, Michael Lewis got incredibly lucky on timing. If he'd begun a year earlier, oh, yeah. he, he might have come out with a hagiography that looks terrible in retrospect. Instead, oh, yeah. he got a front receipt to the financial front Such of the century. Such a great point. This would have been the most freezing cold book of all time. Like imagine uh, he just, put this book out last <laughs> last November. Oh, it would have been a disaster. Oh, I mean, if you think it's bad now, at least he wrote about the crime. I mean, if he would have gone out any earlier. My really understanding was the book was like on its way to the public. Like you, when you're following someone around and writing about them, you have to end it somewhere. Right. And then this whole thing came apart last October and November and it saved his ass. It gave him a chance to write like what happened after. He might not have had that chance. So I also have a very soft spot for Michael Lewis. He wrote a book that, that called uh, Home Game, An Accidental Guide to Fatherhood. That I remember you talking about that. We read this I think when Kobe was born, like we just read it to each other, like just to like for entertainment because it was it was a hilarious book. So Michael Lewis wrote this book. To be clear, you and Robin read it to each other, not you and I. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, the way you made it sound. My wife like, and I. Okay. And so one of his kids, name was Quinn, and we were going to, if we had a daughter, we would have named our kid that. And that, she died in a horrific car crash. Right. Like two years ago, which- While he was writing the book. So how could you like not as a human being just like take- 
take it a little bit easy. We could disagree with with what he said, with the way that he said it. It doesn't look good, but like for goodness sakes, just just take it easy. There's two categories. It seems to me there's two categories of criticism about him. One is that he was just captured by this kid, which seems true. And like, he's just credulous. And he was in the process of writing, this is the next Steve Jobs. And that's legitimate criticism. The second criticism is that uh, there's some kind of like payment somewhere. And oh, come on. I mean, yeah, well, may ridiculous. maybe yeah. I wouldn't know, but like, that's a really big accusation. Like, isn't the payment enough that if Michael Lewis writes a book with this much access to SBF, it's going to make a lot of money Michael either Lewis way? Is a wealthy yeah. man. Yeah, he's going to make a lot of money. So, I mean, so if you're one of these people that thinks that like there's something criminal about writing a book about someone, I don't know. Yeah, it's almost like then can anyone write a book anymore? Sometimes the criticism goes so overboard that it minimizes the actual legit criticism. And I think that like what would have been great was a conversation about the book itself yeah, and the fact that it's spiraled into these conspiracy theories and talking about how he's been paid off or a fraud is, is that's all right, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this question. They could have changed the title going infinite, like implies that this is still a thing that's happening. Mm -hmm. Like what if he changed the title to like the crime of the century, crime of the century, you would have had to change the book. So another thing that happened, well, wait here, a minute though, people right. would be less mad because Mm -hmm. Don't judge a book by its cover. LOL. Everyone does. Yeah. If right on the cover, Michael Lewis is like, this kid committed the crime. I'm calling the kid. He's 30 years old. <laughs> if right on the cover, he's he like, this is a criminal vibes, mastermind. He literally stole customer deposits and gambled with it at his hedge fund. And that's what this book is about mm -hmm. with a whole lot of buildup where I'm giving him noogies and, and we're, you know, watching the sunset together. But people would have been more forgiving if the framing and literally the cover of the book right. were more accusatory. The, I feel like he, he would have gotten away with- The problem for Lewis is you just have to do one, right? You, it could be the cover. It could be the narrative. It could be Something. the interview. And unfortunately for him, or I mean, he made his own bed, but the cover, the narrative, and the interview- And the interviews. All lined up yeah. as- It's not good. I adore Sam It's not good. I just like, it was- interesting watching him talk about Sam because I just wanted to hang out with Michael Lewis. I was like, this guy seems like a good dude. Like I would like to spend time with him. Yeah. Clearly he really likes the people that he likes. The problem is that it was just not the right just person. Just pick the wrong yeah. person. Yeah. So, so, so getting back to the story, which is Sam, uh, this was in the journal today. So the, the trial starts. Um, prosecutors say Bankman Freed stole fronts from FTX customers in part by secretly ordering the programming of special features that gave Alameda, his crypto trading firm, the ability to treat FTX as a giant slush fund. Court filings have revealed a line buried deep in FTX's code that allowed Alameda to have a negative balance of as much as $65 billion. So this was uncovered through, they, they bought a company called LedgerX. The people at LedgerX saw the line of the code and were like, what in the f*** is this? <laughs> they reported it and then, quote, from the journal, the employees who made the discovery reported it to the boss of their division who discussed it with one of FTX founders, Sam Bankman-Fried's lieutenants, some of the people said, and of course they were all fired. This is Fired why, for bringing it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a This is why he's, he's probably going criminal. to prison, yeah. right? Yeah. It's because his whole thing is like, oh my God, I just realized that there was 8 billion just, gone. No. Don't bullshit, bullshit. Very clear. Stop. How do you guys, do you guys think, the, okay, the fact that he was able to take so many people, Michael Lewis, Tom Brady, the list goes on, was it just money or yeah. was there, was it personal? Okay. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's not. not it's, it's personality is it, horrible. It's no, it's, it's, all, it's, it's just it's money. So, it's social proof. It's money right. and social proof. Every He must be good. Look at who he's surrounded By with. By the way, could he have pulled this off 
absent the pandemic or where nobody sees each other. Yeah. And it's everything is text messages and phone calls. And absent a crypto bull market. Well, it's obviously a, you need it, that. That's the key ingredient. Like for Tom all this Brady shit. got like what forty million dollars for twenty minutes of work every year. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but like, it is amazing how people. There should be a gut check for people where you know it doesn't fully seem right. What here, else? But what else is in FTX's portfolio? What if they've got the greatest venture fund of all time? I wouldn't be so. Given the anthropic news at this point, I'm just like, okay, everybody's getting paid. I mean, back. that's kind of like the venture model is just. Buy everything and exactly. something's going to 10x. Yeah, well, there you go. Did you see the thing with his dad where Who? his dad's asking for more money from oh, his Oh, it's disgusting. <laughs> it's the kind parents of parents look worse than, 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 than the guy. He, he literally says putting putting Barbara, which was oh, yeah. his mom, I'm telling on, this, your mother. on this email. <laughs> I'm telling your mom that you're not paying us enough. And yeah. by the way, they taught ethics at Stanford. I mean, it's, that's it's, another it's one rough. that's just puzzling to me. If you, well, if you listen to their – so there was a great New Yorker magazine piece, and the perspective from the parents is that – He's innocent. This whole thing is like uh, there's an agenda behind it, and I get it. It's his parents. Like nobody wants to see their kid go to jail, and nobody wants to admit that they raised somebody that's capable of theft on this scale. But they're not just like innocent bystanders. They're like very involved in the charitable side, the philanthropy. They're in emails. They have positions. Like it's they're so deep that like nothing they say has any credibility. Absolutely. So, all right. It's very ugly. You know what we've got in a few weeks? We've what? got earnings coming up. You excited? I'm always excited for earnings. I think it's like the third. What's the biggest earnings story for of, of the big tech companies that you follow? What's what's the most consequential? I mean, I always love following the meta earnings. I want yeah. to see how the ad market is doing. I mean, we'll start to see a little bit more about their reality labs, uh, you know, uh, movement. So I, I feel like they are just so consequential for so many industries that uh, so many different big companies. Though. So I what's always your, look for them. What's your read on uh, Apple's fifth, uh, the 15 launch, how it's gone so far? What's it's the, going amazing for them. It's going amazing. I understand. Did you get one? I have one. I was on the 10. I had waited for the on USB-C. The yeah, I had really way too on long. On the 10, does that have an antenna? It, it is. Okay, mine had a cracked screen and a Does that have a kickstand? Line. <laughs> yes, it has a kickstand. Um, Wait, do you have the 15? Uh, thir- I think I have a 13 Pro Max. I thought you were getting the new one. I will. Is yours heating up? It is, but it's not to the point where like people have. Like, no, that's actually good. You yeah. get two of them. I mean, it's only first degree burns. And then you like, use it, it as a panini press. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's yeah. actually not the worst thing. Uh, Alex, how do you like uh, how do you like uh, podcasting? I love podcasting. You and Ron John are great together. Thank you so much. Yeah. Can you, can you say fun. say more about your your show for for the fans of our show that are enjoying this episode? They should go listen to you immediately. Tell us about your show and what you do on there. Thank you. Yeah. So my show is called Big Technology Podcast. I started it in 2020, mid-pandemic. Like like the rest of us. Like the rest of everybody. Yeah. yeah. And I just thought I quit my job at BuzzFeed. I was a journalist there. And I thought I need an excuse to talk to interesting people once a week. So I'm going to set up a podcast. Everybody likes to be on podcasts. That's right. I mean, and it's worked out. We had recently had Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb on. Will Cathcart, the CEO, uh, the head of WhatsApp has come on. Jan LeCun, the chief uh, You will only speak to C-level, I'm told you now. Get hu- you get huge guests. At a certain point, yeah, you, you, you don't want to end up. You want to talk to the people making the decisions who can actually speak to Why are you so things. good at getting guests? Like, like getting very high level. Like, Brian Chesky is not doing podcasts in general, but right. he did yours. And I'm going to listen to it this weekend. But why, why, what's your- like, what's your Lex, uh, your Lex Friedman uh, superpower? I think it began because I was a journalist speaking to people inside these tech companies all the time. So I didn't just start up and say, hey, please speak to me. Like, I had some context with a lot of these places. Yeah. And uh, and then people listen. 
and they know that these conversations, they're, they're not softballs, but they're also not like gotchas. I really want to learn when I'm on the phone or I'm on the line with somebody. And so I'm going to bring tough questions and then let them explain themselves. And if the follow, if it necessitates, if it necessitates a follow-up that's coming. Yeah. Um, you have Lydia Carino next week. So I have, I probably shouldn't say this, but screw it. I've been talking to Twitter about possibly having her on. Oh, wow. And uh, we were talking like ahead of the code conference. Uh, yeah, that's probably she, not happening now. Well, yeah, so <laughs> I'm going to tell, I'm going to, I'm going to guess she's uh, 90 days away from her next interview. Most likely. Well, Most she, likely. Know, she just gave one a few days afterwards, but they probably cleared the schedule. Yeah. So, uh, I, I was like, is Elon going to fire her? That's not her strong suit. The, the real question is whether she's going to change the advertising equation for them and bring all the advertisers back. And I just read a report that August advertising for Twitter was down 60% year over year and down more than 55% every month year over year. So that's her, that's really her job. She's the, coming from the advertising side. If she can restore that ad money, it doesn't matter. Isn't she, that she backwards? Just got, she just got there sort of. Isn't that backwards? Doesn't does Don't they have to restore the... Don't they have to uh, stanch the the outflow of users before they can fix the advertising product, or do you have to do both at once? I just looked at some new data about um, the difference between Twitter and Threads. Yeah, and people were like, "Threads has killed Twitter." Nobody no. says that. Who's nobody's okay. seriously saying that? Not, not killed, but challenged. Okay, that, let, me, I doubt let me just it. give the data. All right, okay, we, can, go. we can talk about it afterwards. Um, it, it hasn't changed usage of Twitter at all okay. since Thread Threads has come out, and that's across many months, usage of that platform is stable. Now, a lot of the power users are gone. Maybe the cult of Elon has come on and maybe maybe the bots, who knows? But like usage seems Wait, to be the stable. the power users of Twitter are gone? Many of them You're talking about left. me? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But you were out before I Elon. left pre-Elon. Elon's not my issue. Yeah. yeah. I just hate people. It's I also different. think that it's terrific that the news industry has disengaged from Twitter. I think it was driving lots of ridiculous it was un- stories. Dude, it was unhealthy. Embarrassing for journalists. And it's yeah. nice to see that most of them are either gone or have minimized their their time on that platform. Oh, you interviewed Taylor Lawrence. Is she, is she on Twitter anymore? She's on Twitter. Yeah, oh, she so is. She was just on the show. She's on Twitter. She's extremely online, which is the name of her I book. met Taylor but, this summer. I really oh, liked yeah? I I don't... I know that there's a lot of controversies that have to do with her. Exactly. She's provocative. But I'm not yes. on like TikTok and I don't give a shit right. about any of that. I met her in person. I really liked her. Yeah. So she she texted me ahead of the book launch and was like, do, you know, can I come on? And I was like, of course you can come on. And we're going to talk about all the tough stuff. We're going to talk about some of your big controversies. You know, we're going to talk about the book. I'm going to ask, She's, read the book, ask Washington questions Post about it. Or? Washington Post. Okay. And I had a couple of people who like replied, like, I'll never listen to the podcast anymore. But honestly, like if I was going to run a podcast that <laughs> shied away. We get that, we get yeah, that when you come on, but uh, we, well, but we don't I care. I appreciate your courage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If I was going to run a podcast that wasn't going to have, you know, tough interviews with people from all walks of life and all perspectives, then why am I even doing it? So I'm happy that I had her on. Okay. No, I, I think, I think that you should like within reason, right. when someone is controversial, but not like for a reason that like crosses over the line to yeah. bad taste, but just somebody that um, consistently says things that are provocative. It's not a reason not to hear their side of the story. Yeah, and if anything, going on a podcast is a great format to unpack it with them. Way better than a tweet. 100%. Right, because you, you can really get into that stuff. Yeah. All right, so you, have, so you have great guests. You're great at getting great guests. Congratulations on Thank that. You. 
and it's called The Big Technology Podcast. Yeah, and then we do a news breakdown every Friday with myself and Ron John Roy, who's an analyst. He writes The Margins okay. uh, a newsletter on Substack. And that's our chance to be like, you know, I'll do like the big, like what's going on with Airbnb with Brian Chesky? And then with Ron John on Fridays, we just say, what the heck happened this week in the tech Like world? a recap. You know why that's so valuable? It's like animal spirits for tech. Yeah, There's definitely. so much happening every week. It's crazy. And a regular person <laughs> can't keep up with it yeah. all. And, the and you guys just do it for them. And you spoke to try? a former FTC guy recently about Amazon. Oh, yeah, he came Amazon. on with us about the Amazon uh, uh, lawsuit from the FTC. And it's just like the headline, uh, having you know been a, uh, someone writing stories for news outlets, headlines, stories, they're good, they're necessary. They just don't, they never do justice to the story. And having been in that seat and now doing the podcast and doing the newsletter, I'm able to look at the headlines of the week and be like, well, this is what they said. Here's what's probably going on behind the scenes. Here's what's coming up next. Like five, maybe five or six weeks ago, we looked at the fact that Walt, uh, Walter Isaacson had that book coming on about Elon and Michael Lewis had the book coming on about, yeah. about SBF. And we're like, well, you know, we're starting to get a sense as to what, what they're talking. What are the headlines going to be when these, book, these books come out? Right. And you and, could almost predict yeah, it. We, right. We, basically said this is reputation. Oh, that's stuff. awesome. All right. So every, so everybody make sure you check out uh, Alex's uh, show and the sub, what's the sub stack called? It's called Big Technology and I bought the domain name since the last time we talked. So it's just bigtechnology.com. Look at you. There we go. Look at you. All right. You have fun on the show today? Always have fun. It's right. great we're, seeing you guys. We, we, we love having you here. There's so much that we, so we trade these stocks and we mm -hmm. invest our clients' money in them. But there is like a game behind the game behind the game. And yeah. you're our guy for the game behind the game. So thank you so much for enlightening us. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Uh, you ready to do favorites? Yes. Okay. You want to go first? Yes, I will. Go first. Let's okay. go. My favorite is a TikTok account that I just came across. It's called Body by Mark. It's this guy in New York City that walks up to people with the camera on who are in great shape. Okay. And he goes. Yeah, that happened to me this you're morning. You're ripped. Yeah. <laughs> I, met exactly. I met Mark in Grand Central Terminal. It was awkward. I told him I, how I yeah. did it. What is your secret, Josh? Chinese food. Okay, that's so, great. Yeah, all right, yeah. go ahead. So he does this and he was like, hey, what's your routine? And you have all these people with like different body types talk about the workout routines they're doing. And I think that it's so interesting because, you know, there are all these folks who say, I have a monopoly on truth. You have to do this. You have to eat that. You have to, you know, run this amount, lift this amount. And you can actually see by watching these videos, like the different types of exercises that correspond to the different types of body types. Oh, that's interesting. So it's like one of the things that I've learned from it already is that I feel like I've been going about this completely wrong. Like I like to like go to the gym, lift some weights. Um, but not to brag. Not yeah, Michael well, too. Uh, yeah, look, we're both from Long Island. This yeah. is just comes with the territory yeah, for yeah. all of us. Weightlifting is a big thing. Exactly. Right. Um, calisthenics, push-ups, pull-ups yeah. and dips, which you always hear about. But the guys who say calisthenics on these videos, I mean, they are they're in the best shape of anybody. More so and than the bodybuilders. Definitely. Or the, the weightlifters. Like, exactly. Right. The secret and to my physique is a standing desk. That's it. Standing That's desk all help. I do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I just was like, I don't know. I, I thought that if anybody's- Is it funny? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I mean, all right, it's, where, this is on TikTok? It's TikTok, Body right. by Mark. We're going to check that out. Yeah. Uh, Michael, what do you got for us today? All right, just to reiterate- uh, Michael Lewis, if you're a young parent or a new Wait, parent, are you are you I'm are dead you serious. Really gonna do this I'm now? dead serious. Home guide. <laughs> I'm sorry. Home game. Home game. An accidental guide to fatherhood. It is such an incredible book. Uh, but can, he's a fraud. Cannot recommend it highly enough. John, can we throw up? He's a he's a damn villain. The, he was paid by those kids to write. They that did book. pay him. John, I want you to throw up. <laughs> so I saw this tweet this week. Uh, there's an account culture underscore crit. It's for culture critic. And what we're looking at here's the tweet. 
Uh, imagine how morally... All right, I don't want to say that. New York City's Penn Station was torn down in 1963 to build Madison Square Garden, and the station was forced underground. One entered the city like a god, one scuffles in now like a rat. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and he's showing a reminder of how... Like, that's you, the old Penn Station. Did you know that? Can I, can I please add some context to this, though? Sure. Okay. This is maybe what it looked like in the 1940s. It's a Beaux-Arts masterpiece. Just we all understand. Hold on. Incredible. That's not what it looked like in the 1960s when they tore it down. It was thoroughly destroyed. It was run down, decrepit. It was not in good condition. Look how beautiful. Okay, but but understand, you're showing me World War II era photos of this structure. Yes, correct. Okay. That is oh, that's not the demolition. The, There's Moynihan. Right that is not the condition that it was in when they took it down. Carmelo would have never come to play in that. No, absolutely not. Uh, like I listened to. Uh, are we done with this? <laughs> yes, but all right. I listened to uh, uh, Warren Littlefield on the town. Do you know who he is? No. You know who he is, right? I don't know Warren Littlefield. I've listened to the town. The town is great. One uh, of my favorites. Great podcast. It's a joint production between Puck and The Ringer. Uh, Warren Littlefield basically was the guy that invented must-see TV. In the 1980s and 90s, he was programming NBC. And he's still in the game. Like, he he produces shows now for all the big streamers. But him talking about the shows that we grew up watching and, like, the true story behind, like, why was this show on Tuesday night but this other show was on Thursday night, he gets into all that stuff. And what's so fascinating is how monoculture the United States used to be. And one of the examples is uh, Bill Cosby's show in the late 80s or early 90s had a 52 share, which means 52% of all the televisions that were on in America that night were tuned to the Cosby show. This is like tens of millions of people. Nothing like this, nothing even gets close to this. I don't care what show you're talking about on HBO or whatever. And the power that you had over advertising as a result of that, sounds to me exactly like the power that um, Meta and Google have today. Mm-hmm. He's telling stories about like Roseanne was on its last legs on a, on a rival network on ABC and they wanted to knock it out. So they decided to put Frasier up against it. And then ABC said, oh yeah. And they put home improvement against Frasier. Like these were some of the wars that were fought. And the reason why Thursday night became so important, if you were opening a movie that weekend, you had to blanket coverage Thursday night TV with ads to get people out. Also, car dealerships. When do you go to a car dealership? Saturday or Sunday? So that's why Thursday night became so important and became must-see TV. The advertisers wanted your attention on the weekend, and they wanted you to start planning it on Friday. So you had to be on Thursday night. So I thought it was a really interesting conversation, and there were a lot of echoes about what goes on today with like just the quest for attention and how fragmented everything is. Uh, so everyone check out uh, the podcast called The Town and look for the Warren Littlefield uh, episode. All right, that does it for us. I want to point out, this is the brand new uh, t-shirt in the Compound store. It's idonshop.com. Literally, you are the first people to see this. If you want to be the first kid on your block to own the official back in black 6040 t-shirt, where do they go, Michael? Idonshop.com. All right. Uh, do we have any other announcements? Anything else we need to do? Just a reminder, Charlotte, we're coming. Uh, yeah, I actually think we have too many people now coming to the live event. Is that right? You're nodding. It's a, it's a lot, yeah. It's a lot already. Yeah. So we should stop talking about it? I, I mean, don't get your hopes up, is what I would say. Don't get your hopes up. What do you mean, up. we're sold out? 
Yeah, we're, we're going to sell it out. We, we will probably sell out pretty quickly. We didn't even put the link up up yet to to do it, but we got so many inbound emails that it looks like we're going to sell it out. So that's this is these are good these are good problems. All right, everybody, thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. All right, was that good? Amazing. Right, we're going to do it one more time. There's just a couple of things I want you to say differently. <laughs>